Organissima New York. Your exotic skin, hair and beauty source and your one-stop shop for all your natural and organic skin and hair care. Featuring authentic organic Moroccan oil and prickly pear seed oil and much more. Bringing you only the best straight from the source and proudly produced in the USA. So what are you waiting for? Shop today. Organissima New York. Your beauty is our duty. What's up, party people? This is Kwame, and you are rocking with Chatters That Matter right here. Keep it live. This is Rick Aaron, and you're watching Chatters That Matter with Dr. Cheryl Bryant-Bruce and Hurricane. Keep it locked. Hello, hello, hello. It's Dr. Cheryl Bryant-Bruce, MD. You know me, the celebrity doc. And I am here with my show host, my co-host, Hisham Elamati, Hurricane H. And you are here with Chatters That Matters. Let's talk about it. The hit talk show that is here to educate, inform, and entertain you. And tonight, we are going to have an interesting conversation on a topic that a lot of people are talking about right now because if you haven't been paying attention to the news jamie fox has been in the news recently for an illness that hasn't been disclosed but there's been a lot of speculation that there may have been a stroke so even though this is mental health awareness month we wanted to take this time to actually address the the matter of strokes at a time when it really is uh, uppermost in in people's mind as people are discussing what it means and and you know what are the possibilities with it and as we were researching it we realized that there were a number of celebrities out who have had strokes in the past and not the the not too distant past and some of them that we had hoped to be able to bring onto the show actually weren't in a position yet because they're going through their own care. So tonight we have a very interesting guest on that's going to talk to us about this topic that impacts a tremendous amount of people every year, approximately 800,000 people in the U.S. alone are impacted by stroke each year. And of that 800,000, about 600,000 of those are new events. So it is something that is occurring commonly. And the best opportunity to have a good outcome for a stroke is to have a good response. And that's a, a quick response, understanding what the signs and symptoms of, of stroke are, acting accordingly quickly. So tonight, our guest is an amazing woman, uh, definitely an intellectual who has a lot of expertise in the area of neuroscience. She is a neuroanatomist. And so she understands the brain 
very, very well, but she understands the brain much better than most neuroscientists because our guest, Jill Bolte-Taylor, is also a stroke victim. So she has had the opportunity to see it from the perspective of looking in as a scientist and also looking out as a patient. And she is going to talk to us about that journey. Jill, welcome to Chatters That Matter. Thank you, Dr. Cheryl. I'm thrilled to be here to talk about this. It is stroke is so common and so important that people understand and they can recognize it when it's happening. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's start out by talking about your journey. What made you decide that you wanted to go into neuroanatomy? How did you get to that point? And then how did that journey change? And it changed, as I understand, rather suddenly for you. It did. Yes. I, I have a brother who's 18 months older than I, who would eventually be diagnosed with the brain disorder schizophrenia. And mm -hmm. of course, as children, everywhere we went, we went together and every experience we had, we had together. And I noticed that he was very different from me in the way he processed the same experience and had a different interpretation of what had happened. So I became fascinated with, you know, what's going on? What am I as a living being? What is this brain? What is normal? Am I normal? Who's normal? Uh, <laughs> what's normal? <laughs> what is normal? And so um, I grew up to get a PhD in neuroanatomy. And then I was at, at Harvard Medical School teaching and performing research in how does our brain create our perception of reality? And and at the age of 37, I woke up and I experienced a major hemorrhage in the left half of my brain. And uh, within four hours, I could not walk, talk, read, write, or recall any of my life. I became literally an infant in a woman's body. Wow. That, that had to be a terribly frightening experience. You know, I was very fortunate that the portion of the brain that would experience fear was swimming in a pool of blood. So, uh -huh. so I was curious about what was going on. I mean, you're an MD, you understand, uh, you know, the brain. And if you were having that experience too, you would be curious and you would be fascinated, right. but you would also do everything you could do in order to get yourself help. And right. uh, uh, so, so yeah, I was lucky that the fear was gone, but I was, it was unfortunate that I was so fascinated. I didn't immediately call for help. <laughs> oh my goodness. How long did it take you to actually respond and, and make that call? It took four hours for me to figure <gasps> out how to do it. Right. So by then I literally, uh, I literally was holding on by a thread. And when I woke up that afternoon, I could not walk, talk, read, write, or recall any of my life. So wow. uh, it was traumatic. And that's why it's so important that people talk about this because I was one of the lucky ones. I had a severe hemorrhage, a severe stroke, but I got help. And a lot of people, they don't take stroke as, oh, I'm feeling a little neurological weirdness. I'm going to go lay down for a while. And right. The last thing they need to do, what they need to do is really uh, a call for help, call even if it's a friend, if you're not ready to call the hospital, uh, but get somebody aware and alerted that you're not feeling normal. 
Right, right. Now, you said something very interesting. You said that the part of your brain that experienced fear was blocked off. And the brain does, different parts of the brain do different things. And so you get some people who actually will have a a, a bleed or an ischemic event. An ischemic event is when not, not enough oxygen gets to the brain. It gets closed off. The vessels get closed off by some reason, whether it's a little clot that's thrown or some other thing that blocks the, the, the bloodstream. Um, if they get certain parts of the brain blocked off, they can neurologically not process the fact that there's danger. And so that also becomes an, an issue when we have these strokes, not to mention the fact that a lot of us, anytime we have anything like this going on, we go straight to our coping mechanism of what? Denial. Denial. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you were alone when you experienced your stroke. And four hours later, you were able to put together that you needed to do something about this. Well, and- I, I knew, and, and this is important too, because I, I figured out I was having a major something problem, but mm-hmm. I, w- I would waft off into the consciousness of my right hemisphere because my, my stroke was a hemorrhagic stroke, which is about mm-hmm. 20% of the strokes. Right. So, um, so I started with a slow bleed. I started having what I call neurological weirdness. And mm-hmm. then and eventually my right arm went paralyzed. And my now, right can, you, can you define what neurological weirdness is? What were you experiencing? Yeah. So, you know, the brain, every ability we have is because we have brain cells that perform that function, whether it's wiggling a finger for motor control, whether it's language, the ability to speak, whether it's the ability to stand upright or to stay balanced between the different parts. Every ability we have is because of brain cells. So if a a blood clot gets thrown off and it goes and it blocks oxygen to a certain group of cells, then those cells that are desperate for that oxygen to function, they go offline. So, mm-hmm. you know, it can be something, a piece of vision because it's blown, uh, the clot is blocking the visual cortex, or it might be the ability to have smell because those cells have been impaired, or it might be motor control. So there's some form of paralysis. So when we consider that every ability we have is because we have brain cells that perform that function, then anything is game and, and no two strokes are really the same right? because even though our brain cells are organized more or less the same, every, in every person is, is different in where's that blood clot going to go, or is it a hemorrhage? How big will it be? Uh, but the bottom line is a stroke is an emergency. And, and so if you're starting to feel paralysis, um, you, we, you, shall we talk about the more warning signs of stroke? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Gosh. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so I think of them as stroke, S-T-R-O-K-E. I do my best to simplify it so people can remember. So right. S, S stands for speech. If you're having mm-hmm. a problem speaking, uh, or if you're hearing somebody else and you're not processing their language, 
then that can be a real warning sign of stroke. So S stands for speech. T stands for tingling or numbness in the body. And normally it's just on one side. Strokes are generally one side or the other. That's called lateralized. Sometimes it'll be in the midline, so it'll influence both. But usually there's going to be an influence on one side. So T stands for tingling or numbness. R stands for remembering problems, immediate problems with remembering. I can't, I can't remember. I can't remember my name. I can't remember where I live. I can't remember who you are. I can't remember what you just told me. Not as simple as I can't find my keys. (laughs) (laughs) I lost mine this morning and I'm operating on my spare set of keys and then I misplaced them too. That's a different problem. We can talk about it another time. But, but an acute, immediate problem with being able to process thinking, R. So R stands for remember. O is off balance, off balance, because usually if there's a motor system, a physical muscular system involved, it's going to include one side over the other. And so we lose our balance because certain muscles on one side don't function okay to balance us out. So um, O is off balance. K is killer headache. Uh, I had a pounding pain behind my left eye, like that caustic pain that you get when you bite into ice cream. And it was pain. And it was just, it was an incredibly intense, uh, boom, uh, killer headache uh, may happen, may not happen for people. And then E stands for, for eyes or problems with vision. Oftentimes, uh, the the vision will go blurry. I won't be able to see correctly. I can't then communicate well what I'm thinking or what I'm I'm experiencing. So, so that's how I break it down for S-T-R-O-K-E. I think that makes it uh, easier for people to remember. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I want to talk a little bit about that off balance uh, thing that she spoke of with the off balance thing. A lot of times that may be the first sign of a stroke. And I I actually remember a gentleman, a 93 year old that was out on the golf course playing golf and, you know, he was vibrant and everything else, but what his golf partners noticed was that he kept veering off to the left. Interesting. And as he continued to veer off to the left, they realized that something was wrong. And so they immediately got him in to care and he ended up doing very, very well. At 93 years old, he was mad as a hornet after he came to and got it all together because he was like, well, I was excited about seeing what was on the other side. We were like, you'll be all right. You know? but, That's interesting. Uh, and, and I would like to then make the point that literally, you know, we think it's, it's the older people that, that, who have stroke, but only mm-hmm. half of the strokes are in people 60 and older. I mean, you can can have a stroke when you're in the womb. You can have the stroke when you're one or two or five or 10 or 20 or, or 30 or 40. So, so, so don't think that this is just for the older generations. This is anyone can, who has a brain can be vulnerable to experiencing a stroke. Absolutely. And there are some things that put people at higher risk of having strokes. Women who are on birth control and smoke are at significantly higher risk of having strokes. People who engage in in sports like skateboarding or dirt biking, where you know they're aggressive sports, potential for head injury 
head injuries are a great way to have a stroke because again, you know, a stroke can either be a bleed or a vessel being clotted off. And you, you know, you whack your head, you get a little clot, it seeds further down in the, the vasculature where the vessels are getting thinner and boom, you've got what's called an ischemic stroke. Or as with uh, Dr. Taylor, if you have that bleed, it can be massive and it can be catastrophic. And in many cases, if people do not respond quickly, it can be deadly. I can't recall what her name was. There was an actress who died a few years back and she had been out skiing and she had a, a fall, a head bump, and then they let her do the unspeakable. They let her go and lay down. She said she was going to to go lay down and rest, and she died. And she was just complaining of of a bit of a headache. So head injuries are to be taken seriously. Headaches, massive headaches, the, the headache like, this is the worst headache I've had in my life. Yeah, it could be a migraine, but if you're not a migraineur and you have the worst headache you've ever had in your life, then chances are it's something you might want to go ahead and look into because these events, as Dr. Taylor said, they can happen quickly. And, you know, life is all good one minute and the next minute something major has happened. Could be the difference between life and death, but somehow, sometimes you have to put it into perspective that death is not always the worst thing that we can experience. And if you have an event and you don't get it taken care of soon enough, you can have a very poor outcome. Jill, I mean, you obviously have been very fortunate and you have been able to continue not only to be very vital in your life, but to use this as a tool to make a major contribution. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, you know, I I feel like um, it's been 25 years since my hemorrhage and, you know, I call it gravy time. You know, this is this is 25 years I almost didn't get. Right. um, uh, I, I, you know, my claim to fame is um, I gave the first TED talk that ever went viral. So if any of your audience are uh, enjoy TED talks, um, uh, mine was called My Stroke of Insight. And my mother was the hero in my life who came to me and she had been a teacher and she taught me everything. She taught me how to walk and talk and and everything, language again, how to read again, everything. And so, and then I eventually wrote a book called My Stroke of Insight. And mm-hmm. um, that book is probably how you found me because that's still um, uh, near the top of the list at, at Amazon. But I just wrote a new book called Whole Brain Living because it's about how do we look at this brain as this beautiful organ of who we are and how do we, how do we, wh- what's, what's going on in there and how can we better understand ourselves, especially during these times of stress and mm-hmm. stress is a killer. 
and stress is one of the primary causes for stroke. Um, stress raises our blood pressure, our hypertension is off the charts. Um, you know, we feel anx anxiety, we feel unwell, uh, weight gain happens with stroke, which is also leads to, to stroke. So, so there's all kinds of things that we can do to take care of ourselves. But really, I think the number one thing is, is who am I and what power do I have to choose to be calm in my life? Uh, how can I tame my anxiety? First, how can I recognize my anxiety so that I can calm that down? Because I, we do have the power then to, to use our efforts in order to, to calm ourselves overall. And, and, um, you know, what we eat makes a difference. Um, salt, uh, increases the absorption of liquid inside of our body, bearing more weight on the blood vasculature system. So, so we can look at our nutrition and sleep. Oh my gosh, I'm such an advocate for sleep because when we sleep, that's when all those billions of bits of data that are happening moment by moment, we close our eyes, we close off our sensory systems, our brain flushes out all the waste buildup from all those cells that have been working all day. And then right. we wake up in the morning feeling fresh because we are fresh. Our environment has been fresh. So just even thinking about our brain and considering this beautiful organ inside of our head and what can we do to nurture it and take care of it? Because, oh my gosh, isn't it lovely when it works well? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you don't think so, talk to an Alzheimer's patient, you know, exactly. and people living with Alzheimer's. Uh, and the first, you know, toward the end, they are in another world. But people living with Alzheimer's know that they're slipping and it's a very painful experience for both the person and the people who support them through it. So as and I mean, even with just general aging loss of memory is one of those things that people come into the office for frequently because it is uncomfortable as they find their memory less accessible to them. So we do have these beautiful brains that we work with and we, we use just a very, very small part of them actually, but definitely we want that small part to be functioning very, very well. What are some of the tips that you can give for caregivers and people who support the person who has the stroke? Because that's a journey in and of itself. It absolutely is. You know, being a caregiver is one of the most difficult and, and um, uh, stressful it's stressful to to give that level of care. And um, so how does one take care of oneself? How do you protect your own sleep? so that you can be alert and you can be available. How do you, uh, what are you eating? How much caffeine, how much sugar are you consuming? Uh, because these are things that again, lead to our anxiety when we're leading to anxiety. It's part of our stress response uh, and stress with that goes often, you know, there we go with, with higher blood pressure. Right. Uh, protecting ourselves from sugar, diabetes is at epidemic levels in our country. And um, sugar and maintaining uh, a, a decent a level, a normal, le healthy level uh, inside of our body so that the body isn't responding um, uh, really uh, it, it, 
um, suddenly in order to to keep our, ourselves balanced. Exercise, movement, getting movement is so important. Uh, sharing, sharing successes uh, with others of, of uh, my mother was talking to loved ones every day and she was praising, oh my gosh, things I could do today that I couldn't do yesterday. And, and by having that level of, first of all, eyeballs on me, because I couldn't remember what I couldn't do yesterday that I could do today, but she could. And, and so it, it was positive. It's focusing, focus on what we can do, not what on we, what we cannot do. And that's so important for the health and the well-being of the stroke survivor, because if, if you're depressed and you're sad and you're bemoaning everything that What's wrong with me, I'm only going to feel worse. And if I'm feeling worse, then my immune system naturally plummets. And that's very different than if you're praising me and saying, oh my gosh, you know, okay, so all I can do was was roll over today. Well, I can roll over today. Oh my God. Right. Celebrate all the little steps along the way because if everything's taken away, you have to celebrate what we have and what we continue to gain. So, so keeping our our heads up out of the roots of our own agony and misery is so important. So, as a caregiver, you know, take care of yourself physically, take care of your nutrition, take care of your sleep. Uh, those are three of the biggest ones. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think that that is good sage advice for everybody, not the stroke victim, not just the caregiver, but everybody needs to heed that advice. Because if we are rewarding ourselves and praising ourselves for the things that we accomplish, no matter how small they are, as you said, it's kicking off those endorphins, it's making us feel better, it's reducing that stress that is kicking us into that negative pattern in the, in the first place. So that's one of the best things that we can do for ourselves in general, but particularly if we have something underlying, like a stroke, it does make a very, very big difference. And it makes a difference for the person that you're supporting. And it makes a difference for everybody else around you because not only are you supporting the person with the stroke, but you're supporting others around you as well. And if you get so sucked in to taking care of the person with the stroke and you start drowning in the weight of that care, then the entire system in which you're connected is impacted in a, a negative way. Hopefully, as a caretaker, you have a strong support system that can help to lift you up just as you're lifting up the person who is dealing with the stroke. If you do not, then it's important to seek out that support system. There are numerous organizations that can help with that. And you can speak to the patient's physician team, because with every hospital, there's going to be a social work services organization that is going to be able to help direct you to resources that can support you through the experience. Yeah. And also groups for uh, uh, for the stroke survivors, because yes. when we have lost something and 
you know, it, we might be embarrassed, we might be sad, we might be, you know, just really caught in, in the, the negative emotion of it all. And then I don't want to be a burden on, on my loved ones. And yes. uh, so the dance becomes a, a very special, emotional, deep dance that we do with one right. another. So, so how do we learn how to do that well? Right. And then, I mean, there's one word that you said in there that really was key, the loss, because there is a loss and people who have strokes go through a grieving process. My mother had a stroke and she actually ended up having a couple of strokes before it was all over with. She passed in 2016 and this was a tremendously vibrant woman. She was born on the 4th of July and she was an absolute firecracker girl from the Bronx. And we watched her just deteriorate. Now her body was a part of that, but it was watching what happened to her emotions and her brain as she grieved the loss of being whole. And you know, she she lost her youth, she lost her, her beauty, and it all in a very short period of time, because it does, it takes a tremendous toll. And I watched her go through all of those Kubler-Ross stages of, of grief, because she buried a part of who she was. We were not really able to successfully pull her out of that. And because of her health condition, she she didn't do well anyway. But it was a struggle for her because she was so emotionally connected to the loss as opposed to what she could do and what she could provide. And I think that's one of the things that's very important for the stroke victim to understand that no matter what they've lost, they still provide so much more to the community around them. Right, right. And, and you know, um, one thing that I say is that those of us who, who have survived a stroke were stroke survivors. The victims, mm -hmm. they died that day. But the stroke right. survivors, I survived right. in focusing on the survival and what could I do because because I was still here, there was still possibility. And, and, you know, at this stage, then let's, let's really uh, focus on how important it is to get help sooner rather than later. Because yes. the modern medicine has the ability for what 80% of the uh, all of the ischemic strokes, the blood clot strokes, to be mm -hmm. able to bust those clots and right. decrease the long-term impact that that clot might have. But you have to get to the hospital within what two, three hours of right. knowing that 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 happened. So if you're sitting at, at breakfast and your spouse is looking fine, and then all of a sudden uh, they're they've got a sagging part of their mouth and maybe drooling a little breakfast food, it's in that moment that you really want to, you know, have them stick their tongue out and, and the tongue will veer 
usually it comes out in the middle, but it will veer to the side of the stroke or, or if they, you know, raise the arms and one arm doesn't go up, um, different ways of testing each other and then get to the hospital immediately. Stroke is an emergency. I cannot stress that enough. Uh, it is an emergency. And if you get there early enough, then you may be able to qualify for, uh, for, for being able to do the clot buster and then, you know, the long-term impact and the long-term effect of that stroke can, a lot of it can be avoided. Yes, and, and uh, she's speaking about the clot busters in the ischemic strokes. But then again, as she said earlier, 20% of the strokes are actually hemorrhagic strokes. Dr. Taylor was fortunate in that hers was a slow bleed, but there can be lots of reasons for bleeding in the brain. And aneurysms may leak slowly, but they can also have massive quick ruptures. And the faster that one gets into the services, even if a, a blood vessel blows wide open and dumps a truckload of blood into the head, they can drain that blood out of the brain and preserve the brain function. But the longer that that blood sits on the brain, compressing the brain, it starts to destroy the blood cell, I mean, the, the brain cells that it's putting pressure upon. So the more quickly one can respond, the more likely that someone is going to do well. And, you know, like, like you said, I, I can't emphasize enough how much of an emergency a stroke is. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's so important. Yeah, vascular, vascular emergencies in general are, are huge. They're some of the biggest emergencies that we bring through the ER. And basically, you know, that's looking at your strokes and that's looking at your heart attacks. And those are the two big number one sources of, of morbidity and mortality aside from accidents and suicides and those types of things. So, you know, again, this it is a major emergency if you're having a stroke. And it is good to not only learn what the signs and symptoms of a stroke are, but if you see them, don't discount them. Because one of the things that people do, they look and they're like, oh, it's Face might look a little crooked. No, but it probably just always looks like that because not only is the person with the stroke trying to deny, right. but people around will try and deny that which is stressful and frightening for them. Right. So, you know, don't, don't deny it. We would rather you erred on the side of caution and come in and bring something. And we're like, yeah, no, that's not a stroke, but it's all good. We applaud the fact that you were on top of it. Right. So we would significantly much rather have you come in and question than not come in and wait until something becomes catastrophic. Right. So, sorry, no, I, I, you know, I'm listening to you, uh, doctors, and, and, you know, it's a lot of information. And from a non clinician, but also I'm on the insurance world in general. And so, one of the things that we talk about all the time is preventative, right? And, uh, you know, you talked about the triggers 
And a lot of them are the three stooges, the blood pressure, the diabetes, you know, and all that stuff, you know, is, is really like, you know, the, the, the main, uh, the mental, you know, uh, uh, process is important. The lack of sleep, you know, the nutrition piece. I mean, you've more than three stooges there. There's <laughs> so a few stooges, you know, but the idea is, you know, all this stuff is about preventative, you know, uh, I think prevention is key to everything. As a matter of fact, my first show with Dr. You know, Shell Brian Bruce was about preventative medicine. And, and, and that is a big piece of, of the stuff. So, and just education. And by the way, I appreciate, you know, the way you broke down, not only the, the acronym itself, like the stroke piece, but also like some of the, the, the tips and, and even like what to look for, you know, and the little tests. And those are great mm -hmm. uh, for our audiences watching right now. I mean, listen, because uh, I wouldn't know what to look for. Right. To be honest with you, for someone who's not, you know, medically inclined, I mean, what am I looking for? I mean, maybe if it's that extreme, but most of these things are small or light that you might not hours can go by before you can see something major. And that by mm -hmm. that time is too late. So again, I think uh, we're a health channel, wellness channel in general. The idea is that you want to eat correct. You want to keep your mental you know, in check. You want to make sure that you're exercising properly and avoiding stress and doing the right you know, stuff for yourself, such as sleep and avoiding all the, the bad triggers and food and, and like mm -hmm. sugar, you mentioned, you know, sugar is big, you know, and, and diabetes is a, a big one. And the other thing is that it looks like obviously the, the, the statistic or the percentages you gave are pretty eye openers for a lot of people because again, it is kind of like the traditions, like uh, all the people get it. You know, right. at least that's yeah. how most people, it is not the fact yeah. you cleared it to, to the audiences, which means that anyone at any given time, they should be aware, they should be uh, at least uh, understanding what could be, you know, what could go wrong. And if it does, they can do the, the next steps quickly and and to your point call the er what's the worst that's going to happen nothing they're going to scan you you're good you get a clean <laughs> bill of health and you walk right out and happier as opposed to you know because because here's the thing i mean as a guy you know there's that macho piece and by the way i think that that goes for all humans <laughs> we'll have that ego piece you know like no i i got this you know i just like to yeah. your point it's a mild headache okay or oh it's a bad headache it's getting worse let me just pop a couple of pills and that's it. Mm -hmm. That's usually what we try to do, right? Right. Or I just, I'll do a walk maybe, you know, and then now it's worse, right? See, that's the thing. Like we need to be clear about that this is serious. Uh, right. The first, you know, sight of something or at least the feel of, of a dangerous, you know, or change in your abilities instantly mm -hmm. you need to make, you know, uh, and by the way, I, I can, I have a friend who actually had a stroke and had it not been, you know, his wife taking him immediately to the hospital, uh, you know, and he re recovered well right away. I mean, it was about a week, 10 days later, and he, he got mm -hmm. back and everything was normal. But imagine if that, that you know, his wife was not there next to him at the time to take him and make that call and, and let's do. It's it's to your point. Now, now here's the challenge. If you live by yourself, uh, you know, if you are maybe at night sleeping and it can happen as well, I'm sure that this is not, you don't have to be awake to, to have right. it. That's that's a whole different you know ball game. Uh, are there any devices or thing or technology that can be like maybe uh, maybe people that may be at risk you know to have I don't know a wrist yeah, I mean wristwatch for example you know now they have these systems where they can you know identify heartbeat or irregularities or whatever right. you know is there anything now that is that is relevant to the stroke you know uh, or are they the same gizmos that we can use maybe for heart and blood pressure to do this uh, that's one question the other one is. I know you talked about the, um, I guess the, the groups and the therapy piece of it. That's more of the social or or or, or the mental therapy. But what about the physical right. therapy itself? 
Because I mean, that mm-hmm. you need to to get back in shape somehow. That is right. that is not. I mean, you talked about you know the body's not functioning, the motor functions right. are you know not. That's gonna take a lot of toll on people, and and coming back from that is is and that's providing you were able to get rid of the problem. And the next right. question would be, well, how to avoid it again? Like, because if you had it once, there's a good chance you can have it again. So now, what would you do to to really really? Um, prevent it or at least you know be aware that you cannot have it again one more time because first one maybe you get by the second one probably is not a good you know time right so so these are some of the things that i'm actually you know kind of thinking about as i'm listening to you ladies so please enlighten me (laughs) well addressing the the physical part of it the physical therapy part of it it is essential that you start working the physical part of it right away uh the quicker you start in the therapeutic maneuvers, the more likely you are to regain that. That being said, you know, the the brain is healing and and you have to be getting rest. Uh, As Dr. Taylor said, rest is critical because that is when the brain actually does its repair work. And kind of an interesting uh, side of, I, I had, was going to talk about this a little earlier, but this is actually a pretty good time to interject it. Um, We had talked about how do animals in the wild respond to stroke. And that is one of the things that animals do. I used to work for Department of Fish and Games. I was a wildlife and fisheries biology major, wanted to go and uh, work with lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. But one of the things that I used to do I would climb up into trees and stick my hands into holes looking for little owls because owls really cannot see very well during the day. And they would get caught out in the daylight, get blinded by the light, and they would go flying smack into a tree or a structure and they would give themselves concussions and sometimes they would have, have strokes and brain bleeds. And you would know these little owls because if they didn't make it up into the tree, they were on the ground, usually going sideways. And then the other thing about them is that, you know, they they have big eyes anyway, but the the eyes were often asymmetric in some sort of way. So you you immediately knew what had happened to, to the little guy. My job was to just pick it up and put it into a hole in a tree where nothing was going to eat it because what they automatically would do, because they are more in tune to their own biology than we are, they would start ratcheting down their body functions. So they would put themselves basically into a comatose state and they would stay in that hole in the tree and allow their bodies to heal themselves. They would take that rest and allow the cells to do the regeneration that they needed to do. And then all of a sudden, one day I'd come back and I'd check the tree and the owl would be gone. It would have flown off and doing its owl thing again. So we often see animals in the wild do that type of repair work. We actually intrinsically have a lot of that still coded into us because really when you get 
right down to it, human beings are still relatively primitive animals. We haven't been this evolved for that long. You know, it's been a, a couple, few hundred years that we've been in this industrial age with all of the fancy stuff that we do. So we used to be much more dependent on healing ourselves and using that which was natural to heal. You know, you let your food be your, your medicine. We talked about the physicality. The physicality is super duper important. Why? Because as Dr. Taylor said, the neuroanatomy of the brain is that you have two hemispheres and those hemispheres have different functions, but they also have to talk to themselves. And the better that they cross-reference and talk to themselves, the more functional your brain. And if you have an injury to one side of the brain and your brain's been very good at cross-referencing to the other side, you're going to be less impacted. Now, if you want to get the brain functioning well again, though, you've had damage to one side, you have to get it talking to the other side again. How do you do that? With the physicality, with oppositional movements, patternings that retrain the brain to do what it originally did. Now, sometimes, depending on how extensive the injury is, you have to go all the way back to the primitive brain and retrain it from the point where you basically were conceived and the brain was learning the different movements, even in utero, it was practicing movements that were training that brain to talk to itself and to experience its world on both sides. So some people are more left-brained than others. Some people are more right-brained than others. And the way they experience their world is a little bit different uh, accordingly. But the, the brain has the ability to just do amazing things in terms of adapting and, and learning. And one of the things, I, I'm sure you can comment on this, Dr. Taylor, is that we used to be under the misconception that we couldn't grow new nerves and, and, and neurons and that once the brain was injured and nerve cells were injured, that they were just gone. And now we know that that is not the case. Can you speak a little bit on that? Yeah, certainly. Um, you know, neuroplasticity is when we think about the brain cells, pretty much the brain cells we're born with are the ones we're going to die with, but we lose a lot along the way. But yeah, we right. actually... <laughs> but we do know that even though the cell bodies are in position, they're constantly rearranging which other neurons they're communicating with. And so that's how we're capable of learning. So just as folks have been listening to us chat, as we're they're they're thinking new ideas, they're making new associations. Well, that's literally making change inside of the brain. And in response to 
to trauma in particular, there's neurogenesis, the, the new life of neurons. So there are some new neurons that can go into the position where the trauma is so that it can kind of fill in the blank and, and fill in the, the network of those cells that might have been destroyed. So, so we're learning so much about the resiliency of the brain and, and really working with the brain cells in order to be able to regain function. But you said something so beautiful and your story of the owls, I did not know that. And it's a beautiful, beautiful story because when I was sick, when I was at my most ill, I literally, I was, I was just a lump of, I felt like a lump of lead in the bed. That's how I described mm -hmm. myself. And my mother described me as a, just a breathing body in the bed. I mean, mm -hmm. that's all I was. And uh, instead of worrying, because everybody outside of me was freaking out because, oh my God, Jill had a stroke, but I just moved inside and I went completely silent and I totally surrendered to, to my system. And I believed in the, my brain's ability. If there was any, anyone who knew what my brain, what my brain and body needed, it was itself. And so right. the doctors saved my life. They gave me steroids to deal with the inflammation. And then it was just up to the system. And they did not put me in a coma, but I essentially went into my own quiet little womb. And, and, you know, in our society, macho man down there, Mr. Hurricane Age, you know, it's <laughs> a macho thing to say, oh, you know, I'm just going in, you know, it's like, no, I got to fight it. I got to beat it. I got to do it. And, not me. I just said that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's a macho response. And it's like, we've well, seen you, you beat that bag. Hurricane. You, gotta, you just got to give it up sometimes and, and let it let the magic of this, this living being that you are have the power of creating its own health. Absolutely. Absolutely. And from a caretaker role, you have to believe in the human being's ability to do that. I had the unfortunate experience of, of having a, my own child had a head injury. He had liver disease, so he had a bleeding tendency. He fell off of the, the bed when he was six months old and did experience bleeding into his head. Now, we later found out because of his liver disease that he had had multiple little bleeds because he just would bleed spontaneously. So, you know, his little brain was really quite impacted. But after this fall off of the bed, although he tolerated it very, very well, and it didn't look like there was anything major going on initially, within about 12 hours, it was pretty catastrophic. And he they they actually did put him into a coma which he accepted, tolerated, laid there very, very quietly to regenerate himself. But in his little mind, even though he was being discounted and they were basically saying, yeah, he's not going to make it out of this. You know, he's, he's, he's going to be a vegetable. He's not going to survive. And that wasn't his lot. And that wasn't his choice. And, you know, fortunately with kids, they don't tend to dwell in the negativity. They don't tend to the experience the, I can't, they just go straight to the, got to get this done. Got to get this done. So he, you know, quietly rested and healed 
And then one day he decided, okay, it's time for me to get back to my life. And even though they had him heavily sedated, snowed under, he fought his way up out of that coma. And, you know, when he first started to to move, I was saying he was moving and they're like, okay, she's, she's a little touched, you know, uh, but he actually was making that effort. And they were like, you know, there's no way that he could bring himself out of this. But he did because our brains have that kind of power. Our, our brains are one of the most powerful things on the planet. So mm-hmm. when we can tap into our own brain and tap into our own resources, then amazing, amazing things can happen. And the body is is very good at doing those things. And as you said, you pulled in. The body has a propensity to shunt its blood and its resources to a place that needs them the most, uh, a place that's damaged, a place that needs to be protected. So one just has to trust the intuitiveness of the body to know what's best for it. Right. Yeah, that's uh, that's really beautiful what you shared there. And because you were paying attention, uh, mm-hmm. you were there, you were watching, you were witnessing, you were looking for the changes and you were saying, hey, this little guy is doing doing this. And and the medical world doesn't always, you know, know everything that there is to know about these things. And, and, you know, and this, this is, is a good example of that. The other one. So, so, and my mother was the same way. She was watching all of my, my little bitty things. Mm -hmm. And um, she believed in the ability of my brain to recover, but she set me up for success. And And the way only a mother can. In a way only a mother can. But, but even, you know, I, my mother was a guard at the door. She wouldn't even let my boss come to visit visit me because when my boss would be there, I would, I would try to, to rally, you know, I do the macho thing. I try to rally here. And and then my boss would leave and I would be absolutely spent and exhausted and no good for anything. And my mom said, no, you know, if people are going to come to visit, literally come in for five minutes and don't have a big old yama yama conversation with me. I'm not capable of that. So come in and bring your love, leave all your emotionals. Oh, poor Jill. Whoa, whoa. Oh, this is so sad. No, you come in and you go, oh my God, you're on me and you touch me and you pet me and you say you're Jill you're going to be just fine and you be that you'd be a part of my cheering squad that's what yes. I need you bring energy to me or you take energy away and visitors need to be conscious about what their relationship is with the person who is ill and the other part of that is even if that per- person is comatose they are still there they are still in there and at some level they are still aware and as dr taylor said the sensation of of touch you know bring a chewing gum stick wave it up under their nose their their favorite perfume their 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 favorite music 
make the room hot, make the room cold, give them sensory experiences because somewhere tucked deep down inside, they are still responding to and absorbing all of that. And I mean, there, there have been cases where people have come up out of the, the comas after having had strokes and major events, and they recall that someone was singing a song to them, and they don't necessarily remember who was singing the song, but they may remember every word of the song. So they are experiencing it all on a much deeper level. And it's part of the process, as we talked about those neurons being able to communicate with each other and to work it on out. It's kind of like dreaming. We go to sleep at night. We're not conscious of everything that's going on around us, but our brains are busy integrating all of the things that happen to us during the day and making it all make sense. So for you to come in and in a quiet sort of way, give input, give sensory stimulation, it's a very meaningful thing for someone who is in a stroke and in a sense is sensory deprived. Yeah. And, and, you know, if you, if you want to like rub on my feet, oh yeah, I like that. But do both, do both again, because again, we're going back to that bilateral and half of the, half of the information, sensory info, as it comes in, it crosses over to the other side, to the mm -hmm. other brain. So that, so that even, you know, if you're going to stimulate my toes on one foot, stimulate my toes on the other foot too. Um, and, and remember that bilaterality and you can actually, because uh, half of the stimulation crosses over. Sometimes people aren't comfortable working on the side of the wound so that you can just still have gentle stimulation on the side that is not impacted and know that you are stimulating the other side. But it's all about attitude. If we come in, I always, I always believe if we treat someone as though they will recover, they will recover more than if we treat them as though they will not recover. Yes, yes. And I mean, remember that as organisms, we are all energy and energy transfers. So if you come into that room with negative energy, guess what you've just transferred to that person that is fighting for their existence? A bunch of negativity. Right. And that negativity leads to stress and inflammation, and a much more difficult fight. If you come in with joy and, and positivity, that positive energy goes a long way to boosting yeah. the person that you are there to support. Right. Yeah. Two kinds of, of people who visited me, people who brought me energy and people who took it away. And it was uh, so obvious to me and um, and to my mom in how mm -hmm. how I rallied or in how I was drained. So so really taking responsibility for the energy we bring is so important. God bless your mom for being such oh. a tremendous, strong support. And you know, we're in Mother's Day Day week. And so happy Mother's Day to your mom. We appreciate what she did for you. Thank you. I feel so blessed.
Well, that, that's a powerful thing because she was the ultimate, you know, line of defense for you. I mean, <laughs> you she know, was. and and that's important because to your point, you're you're not able to react the same. Your reaction was limited. She was the the gate, you know, gatekeeper. You know, uh, not right. not pun intended about medicine here. We're talking about just the idea of of protecting you. So mm -hmm. I do have I do have a um, a question. Uh, you know, you've we've talked about the the some of the triggers and so on and so forth. But what about some of the preventative things in terms of nutrients, brain health? Like what can we give people as advice, like, you know, things to maybe eat that will make your brain cells, you know, better, maybe your capillaries, whatever, you know, uh, stronger so you will have less potential risk. Is there such a thing? I don't know. I mean, Numero I'm not talking about deep trauma. I'm talking about just basic. Numero uno. Uh -huh. Numero uno. Numero Uno, Go for it. stop smoking. Oh, all right. <laughs> Oops, that's touchy. Now, now we're gonna get <laughs> people are not gonna like us right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know well, what? With e-cigs, it and, is what it is. Vape <laughs> and all the stuff now is like the new thing, and it's worse. It's still smoking. You can make excuses for it. You can pretty it up any kind of way you want to. It right. is still smoking, and it is maximally detrimental we we have something called a biophotonic scanner or or um it's basically an antioxidant scanner and we're able to measure the antioxidants through the skin and most of the people in the country will fail that scan the interesting thing about it is by providing antioxidants People who are not smokers can change that score and improve their body's ability to react to stress and the, uh, the oxidative stress that it brings. Smokers, it does not matter how they change the diet. They very seldom get more than a little bump in the score because their bodies are so busy trying to counteract the toxicity of that smoke it's one of the most toxic things we can do to our bodies and, and you know uh, secondhand smoking is just as common so it's i think i think that affects all of us bad. yes yes absolutely. you know i i've got to just rave rave do the wave the flag on that too when when you consider that your body is nothing except a bunch of cells that's all we are we're mm -hmm liver cells and brain cells and muscle cells. We're all these cells. We're living creatures, 50 trillion beautiful molecular geniuses that make you you. And then you're going to inhale toxic poison. How, how, how else can the body respond? It can only respond in one way. And that is that you just absolutely violated the health and the well-being of those cells. And if you want to live a healthy life, then you have to consider, well, what am I doing that actually supports the health and the well-being of my cells versus what am I doing that is contaminating this beautiful thing that is so temporary and such a gift called my life? And when we really celebrate life and we want life and we value life and we're willing to engage in the things that we should do in order to create a healthy life, then that in and of itself is the reward of a healthy life. Oh, my gosh. 
So, so it's a choice. You know, we are making choices every day. How much sleep am I going to get? Uh, am I going to smoke? What am I eating? Uh, how much sugar am I pushing in my body? Uh, what am I doing for my well-being? Am I exercising? I mean, we all know these are the decisions that we're making every day. Okay, well, only I can truly take responsibility for me. I chose to do that 25 years ago and oh my gosh, I'm still here and I'm vital and I'm alive and I'm healthy and I'm happy and I can still die tomorrow, but I'll die having lived a healthy life. Yes. Yes. You know? so, so yeah, seriously, paying attention and taking responsibility for it. Drinking lots of water. Drinking water. lots of water. Lots of water. 70% of us are dehydrated. Good. It's the macho thing to do. Look at the size Yay, of that. Yay, hurricane. <laughs> I got to get my jug, you know. <laughs> there you go. Listen, we preach, you know, we don't just talk. You know, we, we take the, the, we talk and we walk. So you got to do I it by that. example. We do practice what we preach. That's right. Yeah, and kindness. I mean, kindness to to ourselves, con kindness to ourselves, ourselves and others. I mean, kindness, it, it, it deflates stress. And if we if we happen upon someone who's all stressed out and they're just in their fear and they're in their anger and they're acting like, you know, some of the craziness that we're seeing in the world right now, well, I can go and I can mimic that or I can just send love to that. I can be calm. Well, I can be the calm within which their storm can actually find some peace. So, so really, how do we find peace? How do I look at myself as an individual, work with that self-talk conversation between the different parts of my brain so that my loving, nurturing, supportive part of who I am can actually self-nurture myself when I'm feeling anxious or fearful or angry? We have these mm -hmm. abilities. We we have so much more power over what's going on inside of ourselves than we've been taught. Absolutely. So, Doctor Taylor, just just out of curiosity, and I think also to 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 give maybe hope to our people. I mean, you are a, a literally a definition of hope right now because you are talking, and you said those those years of our gravy, you know. But but they're really your years, and you are actually on a mission to share with people, you know, that. Many people may not be as fortunate, but but you know you were, and 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 for people that may either have just recently been afflicted with some stroke or some, you know, uh, what? How long, first of all, did it take you to actually recoup? Because I think that that's a big question for people, like you know, because like, oh my God, is it going to be forever? Is it going to take a few weeks, a month, whatever? And and two is you know uh, the fact that you are today. 25 years later doing the work that you do and I'm sure you've been doing it since you know that's actually a great you know uh, I guess spark of 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 whatever you want to call it you know life and help and and excitement for people because you know what I mean you know people are like I, I get this I can do this you know God forbid it happens I can prevent let's talk prevention but God forbid it happens let me you know I know that maybe I have a shot at, at, at still having a life and, and enjoying my life and doing more and be also a positive I guess uh, you know a person in this life so uh, you know what do you say to that well it, it took me eight years uh, to completely recover and you know when you say recover I would say recover what because 
Um, I regained language uh, in the first year, uh, a, a lot of language, a lot of vocabulary, but I didn't know what a one was for four years. You could say, Jill, what's one plus one? And I'd like look around and I'd think one, what's a one, what's a one? And everybody would go, you know, a one, a one, a one, a one, it's everything. And I think, well, if a one is everything, then how can you have another one? I mean, it didn't make any sense <laughs> at all. Right? So, I mean, it was like four years before. I had a clue. Um, and then it was eight years before I felt that I was a solid again, because we are what 80, 90% water liquid. and we are fluid. We are cells and energy and, and everything is fluid. And my perception of myself was that I was a fluid big as the universe related to everything because there's a tiny little group of cells in the left parietal region that defines the boundaries of where I begin and I, where I end. You get rid of those cells and I don't begin and end here. I'm big as the universe. Wherever you are, feel my big energy squeeze because I'm <laughs> you, right? There's no separation in self. So every ability, even those perceptions of who we are, is in those cells. So my stroke was this massive hemorrhage and I survived it. And it took eight years for me to get all functions back. But someone might have a stroke that's ischemic. And if they get there within, get to the hospital within two hours, within, is it two hours or is it three hours, Dr. Cheryl? Um, I believe it's it's two. Yeah, if they get there within two hours, then and they can do the buster, then they might be perfectly fine in ten, you know, in in ten days as opposed to to ten years. So, um, and some people may never recover, and we, we should never hold that against somebody because if those brain cells have died, then then it's a matter of how do we focus again on the wellness. And for me, it's kind of like cancer. If if I have cancer in my body and I put all the energy into the cancer cells, then it's like I'm feeding energy into the cancer cells so that they can thrive. And what I do is I focus on the, the cells that are well, because the cells that are well so outnumber the cells that have cancer. And the same thing was true with my trauma. So I had cells that were traumatized, but I didn't focus on those. I focused on getting stronger preparing, eating well, getting the rest of my body healthy and strong so that I could recover using the cells that were healthy that far outnumbered the cells that were not. And ultimately look at me. So it did take eight years and I was very focused and I am still a very good sleeper. Okay, I just I just did a fact check because I'm like two hours seems long for me. It's actually 60 minutes. Oh, is it get get within from, from door to clot buster? Okay. Mm -hmm. From the moment you determine you have a stroke. Or well, pretty it? pretty much from from door to clot buster, but I mean if you're hours into it by the time you hit the door, then yes. Okay. So so there is a, a myth. Maybe maybe we can bust it today. Is it true to that if we eat walnuts, you know, our brain health is going to be <laughs> better? It's true. Yeah. That is true. That is true. It's the oils that are in there. But I mean, you have to consider that brain cells are, are there's a lot of fat, a lot of lipid in the, in the brain cells. And so in order for them to communicate through uh, what a structure called their axon, it's all lined with something called myelin. And these are little, little cells that are filled with fat. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, we do need, uh, you know, and the next time somebody says, hey, you got, you, you're a fat head, you say, mm, and it's a good thing. 
Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And well, while, you're, while you're lining those cells with fats, you also want to make sure, though, that you're lining them with good fats. So walnuts right. and, and almonds, omega-3 fatty acids are, are and, and omega-6s. Yeah, so, so yeah, are, we need both. Yeah. Yes. And yep. not the trans, no trans fat. Trans fat. We're just talking trans fat here. Mm-hmm. There you go. There yeah. you go. So, yes, the, the, the walnuts are, are great for you. I know, listen, because because they say that you know the fruits, you know, or the things that in nature, they mimic some of our organs, the beans and the kidneys, the 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 eyes, the carrots, and all the stuff. So it is a big deal about the walnuts, and so so, and it does look like a brain. I mean, technically, okay, because yeah. my 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 brains kind of tweaked that way. Uh, carrots and in, in, in the eyes, how are those mimicking? I, well, no, when you cut it inside, I mean, there's the, the, the ins from oh, the inside. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah okay. Yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah, it's more like a nose, right? It wasn't me. I'm just, I'm just, you know, some of the things that I see out there, that's what they describe things, you know, but, uh, you know, like a tomatoes, heart, you know, kind of, you know, that's those are the things, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I mean, we have to have some fun, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I, I'm the comic relief here. <laughs> well, you, you're actually really good at listening to us and then then doing the synopsis of everything we just said. I mean, I was blown away at how you just brought all that back into conversation. Well, listen, that that's what doctor keeps me for. <laughs> well, he does a very good job. You need to keep him. He does. Yeah. He, he does. And uh, we we enjoy being a, a team. We we both say that this show is probably much more fun for us than it is for for anybody else and we probably learn more from it than our audience does because well, we're with it. We're with it every time and we get to speak to wonderful guests like you who have wonderful information. And both of us are just like sponges of absorbing it. And, and we truly enjoy the experience of this show together. Beautiful. I'm just, I'm about to get a PhD right now in medicine because of all the stuff that I've been learning <laughs> in the last three years. I love that. Well, it's chatter. I mean, you know, and it is. You guys are talking about things that matter. Uh, listen, it, it, we it, the mission is, as Doctor initiated earlier, is to educate and, and and inspire and you know and enlighten and entertain too. So, so we we try to do all, but it's all attached to each other. I mean, it's all linked, right? I mean, you have to have some fun. Uh, you know, the mental piece of it is important. Uh, it is, you know, because we are talking about difficult topics. I mean. We're talking about life and death, you know, in a lot of these things. And uh, a lot of these topics are also taboo. People don't want to hear about it. They don't talk. So it, right. it's, it, it's coming across as more of like, you know, acceptable, digestible. People can absorb it in a way that is not like, you know, intense. Because if, you know, this is not like a horror movie, you know, it's this is reality. This is medicine. This is real things. And it, it affects real people. I mean, every day. And uh, you never know who potentially today maybe listen to this show and now knows how to identify, uh, you know, symptoms, you know, as they happen and they can literally make a difference and save a life as opposed to they never heard of it. I mean, th this happens all the time. Absolutely. You don't know something, you learn it. And all of a sudden, because you've learned that trick, now you saved somebody's life instantly. And if you didn't and you were in the wrong, you know, in the, the right place, but you just didn't have the knowledge, it's over. Right. You know? mm -hmm. Beautiful. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it is, that is one of those things. And, and uh, Dr. Taylor very nicely went over stroke 
and signs and symptoms. But it's one of those things, you know, we're all all over these tools and toys that we have while you're sitting there playing with your toy. Hit Google and look up the signs and symptoms of a stroke because chances are sooner or later you are going to come across someone experiencing one or someone who has already experienced one or you might find yourself in the unenviable position that Dr. Taylor was in going through the experience and trying to sort it out for yourself and if you know the signs and symptoms of a stroke, then you're more likely to act on it if it's not in a part of your brain that's impacting your your reasoning and being able to make some right choices for yourself. And the singular wrong choice in the case of the stroke is, well, I'm just going to go lay down and sleep it off. It'll be okay. Just say no. Don't do that. Go ahead and react to it respond to it. If it puts you into an absolutely tizzy of fear, feel it and work with it and act on it. So I have, I have one question just that came up to mind and I know we're wrapping up, but um, epilepsies and, and uh, you know, um, convulsions, you know, when people actually are really, so what, is there a link, you know, to stroke? I mean, is that something that can, uh, that may be part of it or maybe again, just from a medical piece of it? I mean, I know I've seen people literally just uh, drop and then, you know, they, there's nothing you can do. You got to move them a certain way. But but is there a connection to a potential a risk of a stroke? Well, if you drop and you fall on your head, then, of course, there's going to be well, yeah, a, yeah. an increased I'm, risk. Without, I'm not talking about the trauma. But from, from, a, uh, from a physiological perspective, epilepsy is an electrical activity that is disrupted. So they're two very, very different sorts well, of just things. And, again, and people who have epilepsy are usually not at any significantly higher risk than somebody who does not have epilepsy, unless, of course, they're doing the things that are going to put them more at, at risk, just as with anybody else. But they're usually not going to be any much more significantly at risk than the general population. Other than the fact that they are on seizure medications and any type of medication that you may be on, there is a potential that the medication in and of itself can put you at, at more risk. The medication that we should be concerned about in terms of <laughs> putting you in a high risk. Well, I mean, you know, if you have like blood thinners, will that, will that, you know, make it high risk? Blood thinners actually uh, are an interesting thing um, because if you are on a blood risker, you of course, you're going to be at a higher risk for a hemorrhagic bleed. If you were to fall and injure yourself, you are more likely to, to bleed into your head from even a minor trauma. So yeah, a blood thinner is definitely one that, uh, and when we put patients on blood thinners, that is one of the things that we warn them about, you know, to be very, very careful about falls. And if they do have falls, then they need to respond immediately. I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of one where, you know, someone might think, well, do I really have a headache? No, if you have a blood thinner, whether you have a headache or not, if you wop that noggin, go ahead and go to the ER and get it checked out. There are other things that 
certainly blood dyscrasias or blood disorders that can put you at higher risk for strokes. Things like sickle cell, where there's the shape of the blood cells change. And so those blood cells can block smaller blood vessels and create strokes. Heart disease, high, high cholesterol, little plaques that break off are more likely to cause strokes. That's probably one of the bigger risk factors for, for strokes, because as those little clots break off, they typically go to three problematic places. They either go to the heart muscle, they go to the lungs and cause pulmonary embolism, respiratory issues, or they go to the brain and they block off and cause strokes. Well, surgeries is is there's usually a risk with surgery, right? Surgeries are a, a risk for strokes, and also one of the things that people don't think about, and this is actually a good one to think about, and this is one of the times when a blood thinner is a good thing. When we're traveling, even if we don't have any kind of heart condition, traveling is a good time to take an aspirin if you're going to be sitting on that plane. For more than a little while because you're sitting on your bum, you're compressing some very, very big vessels. And it is not uncommon for people to develop deep vein thrombosis or clots during traveling. And when we develop those clots, those clots can break off and go to other parts of the body, including the heart, lungs, and brain. So again, at risk. And that's whether you're flying or, or driving. I had a girlfriend who drove across the country and you know she was a road warrior and she was just going to drive. And at the end of that very long drive, she ended up with a pretty serious deep vein thrombosis. Fortunately, she didn't have any other issues from it, but the potential was definitely there. And definitely, I like your, yourself, you're taking international flights. Uh, anytime we're going to be on that plane for a few hours, take your aspirin. And also, if, if you're able to take aspirin, don't just blanket, take aspirin. Remember, anything that yeah. we say on this show is for informational purposes. And you should always check with your own physician who knows your particular condition before you do any of these things. But taking an aspirin and also getting up while you're on the plane, it's got an aisle. Get up and walk. I don't. I don't sit. I I walk a lot. I stand and yeah. do my thing. <laughs> well, so so is that baby aspirin or like regular aspirin? I mean, because I I've there's been generally, talks about it. Yeah, generally we recommend a baby aspirin. And and that's actually a good practice for anyone, I believe. That is maybe at, at an older age, you just to have that regimen. I mean, well, is that recommended? There's been a lot of discussion uh, around it, and it used to be kind of standard operating procedure that we would say, yes, that is the case. But evidence-based medicine is, is showing us that maybe not everybody needs to take an aspirin. Doctor? And uh, for some people, it's better not to take this. But in the event that, you know, you're traveling or you have an indication for, for taking it, then it can be very good prevention. All right. Great to know. So we're coming to the end of the show. What do we, what, how, how you know, we got to wrap it up. So doctor, <laughs> all yours. 
Dr. Taylor, any give us the the three wrap up tips that you feel are the most important, both for the stroke thriver and for the stroke supporters. You know, I I think that that as the the stroke survivor. Um, being willing to, it, it's devastating for the loss. Um, and at the same time, uh, all, you know, I, even in my devastated condition, I was grateful that I was alive. And because I, I had life, I had possibility and potential. And I had no idea how much I would ever get back, if I'd ever get language back, if I'd ever get movement back. But but I was loved and and I was still able to love and loving myself was was key in allowing myself to know that I'm ill, be ill and trust that my body would do what it was. And that, you know, life is is a fleeting gift that we all have until we don't have it. So um, for me, it was really hooking into that celebration of life. And what I needed from those around me was that love. I just needed to be loved. And um, I think when we're managing any kind of illness or, or we're managing someone who has an illness, we heal inside of love and remembering that. To me, that's just, you know, the biggest, the biggest most important message. I agree 100% and you are truly a light bearer and we are grateful for the gifts that you, you bring. And if I am correct, you also made it onto 100 most influential people in the world. Yeah, that was following the, the TED Talk. Um, mm -hmm. if, if any of your audience members are really interested in the brain, on uh, the morning of the stroke, my TED Talk, I take you literally step by step by step on the morning of the stroke. And it's, uh, uh, yeah, there's uh, almost 29 million views on, on TED.com. So uh, if you're interested in the brain, I encourage you to go look up my stroke of insight. We all well <laughs> worth the watch well worth the the, the watch and okay. we'll put that on the the website to remind you what you're looking for definitely go and watch this ted talk you you'll be enlightened and inspired for sure can we share it you know on the network can we share oh, it the, in the video it's a ted talk yeah so absolutely okay. mm -hmm. Thank you so much for letting me come on and share. You know, this is a uh, stroke. It, it's an emergency. Call 911. And it truly is. So thank you for having this conversation. And thank you for inviting me to participate in it. And yeah. thank you for sharing our, your journey with us. We have definitely enjoyed having you thank on you. the show. So you you've heard it. Educate yourself about it. It is important. You have been watching Chatters That Matters with Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor, and I am Dr. Cheryl Bryant-Bruce, MD, your show host with my co-host, Hurricane H. We want you to like, share, comment, and celebrate the success of Jill Bolte-Taylor. We will see you again in another week. Now, remember, even though we say that we're coming back in a week, our show is airing twice a week, Monday and Wednesday, 
And we are also on the radio broadcasting Tuesdays and Fridays. But if you should happen to miss one of the shows or you want to go back and review what you've heard, we are actively on YouTube. And now we have added the stream to uh, my website, CherylBryantBruceMD.com. So you can always go there and pick up any of the shows that we have done in the past. And we encourage you to enjoy them and to share the experience with your friends. So we're off to another week. It's the Mother Day, Mother's Day week. And we hope that all of the mommies enjoy their weekends. We applaud Jill's mother for the fabulous job that she did in making sure that we retained this wonderful resource. We applaud all of the mommies out there who are supporting their children. It's one of the biggest jobs a, a person can do. And we celebrate you for Mother's Day and each and every day. Thank you for joining us with Chatters That Matters. Let's talk about it. We appreciate you and we celebrate you. And remember, you are your greatest asset. Invest in yourself. Sid, thank you so much. Happy Mother's Day, everyone. All the mothers out there. Thank you, doctors. Mm, thank you, everybody. Blessings. Blessings. God bless. Chatter at matter.com.